0: Hello everyone, Dave here, and thank you so much for listening to our Veterans of Culture War podcast. It is part two of our movie night at the VCW Hall. This is where you will hear our 10 most favorite films from 2022 with our special guest, Sarah Welch Larson, who is the author of Becoming Alien, The Beginning and the End of Evil in science fiction's most idiosyncratic film franchise and also a co-host on a really great movie podcast called Seeing and Believing. The other guest that we have is none other than Jeffrey Overstreet, who is the author of Through a Screen Darkly, Looking Closer at Beauty, Truth, and Evil in the Movies. And he has written other books as well. He is a professor at Seattle Pacific University, (SPU), and you can find his work on lookingcloser.org. So this is going to be... The four of ours top 10 movies of 2022. A reminder that we have a Patreon if you want to support the show. And wherever you get podcasts, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review. Okay, here is the intro.
1: Uh, One one more thing, one more thing, Dave. Uh, before, Before we get into the show, just want to mention Dave and I were recently on the Linoleum Knife podcast. Uh, with former uh, or previous, I shall say, previous VCW guest Alonzo Duralde uh, and his partner and, and fellow film critic Dave White uh, talking about Jesus Revolution. Um, about an hour uh, talking a lot about Lonnie Frisbee in particular, and it was uh, re- really enjoyable. had a great time. So if you want to hear us talk about that movie, head on over there and check it out. Again, that's the Linoleum Knife Podcast. All right, now here's the intro. I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church. Not really sure what I believe anymore, and I'm okay with that.
0: I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff, and I am still an evangelical.
1: And since this is a modern movies show, I guess we got to do part two, right? Sequel time this is veteran to culture arts.
0: Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have conversations about evangelical Christianity, except when we are talking about the movies, which we are today, part two of the best movies of 2022. Here we go with part two. And Sarah, would you like to give us uh, your 10 through 7 and and talk about those a little bit?
2: yeah sure thing. Um, I think these are three that didn't show up on anybody else's. um so number ten through seven we'll say just in in no particular order. um No Bears by Jafar Panahi, um which is just a tremendous movie. I think it was in fairly limited distribution. so if you haven't had the chance to see it yet, there this is a no shame zone. See at the moment that you can yeah, I haven't um, been able
1: to. I wanted to
2: oh it's it's, it's oh, wonderful. it's, so good. it's yeah. Panahi is so good at telling stories that get your hooks in you without you even realizing that they had any hooks to begin with in the first place. Um, And he's doing it here in a way where he's sort of playing a loosely fictionalized version of himself, who happens to be shooting another movie just across the border in Turkey from Iran. and the story and the movie as a whole are just so concerned with the borders and niceties of society and the lines that we are willing and unwilling to cross and then the lines that are prescribed for us which we may or may not choose to cross wittingly or unwittingly Um, i don't really want to say much more about it other than that Um, it's a tremendous movie I think I underestimated it the first time I saw it and then I had the opportunity to revisit it for um, Seeing and Believing podcast and it's just grown in my estimation ever since then and it's the kind of movie that I sit down and think about occasionally and I don't do that very often. Um, So I have a feeling it's one that's just going to be sticking with me for a very long time. So No Bears, Jafar Panahi, incredible movie, definitely add it to your lists if you have not had the chance to see it.
3: For what it's worth, it would have been in my top 10 if I were counting it as a 2022 film. Mm-hmm. It, didn't, it didn't play here in Seattle until a few weeks ago. So, uh, where did so it next play? year,
2: we'll look forward to
1: it. It played at SIF uh, Uptown. I was going to say it must have been SIF. Oh, wow. That doesn't show up on Fandango, which is where I look for things.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get Fandango to get with it, I think. I know,
1: seriously. Come on, Fandango.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, my next movie is um, Crimes of the Future, by David Cronenberg. This was actually, 2022 was the year that I first saw a David Cronenberg movie. So I had never seen any of his movies before. I actually went in fairly cold to Crimes of the Future. I was expecting a lot of really bloody body horror and I got that to a certain extent, but what I wasn't expecting was just how funny this movie was. (laughs) Yes. And it's also kind of a, a take on a film noir. And the thing that cracked it open for me was Kristen Stewart's performance um she's kind of channeling peter Laurie here (laughs) in a way that i really appreciate it's a very (laughs) squirrely performance i can see it being very off-putting for other people but it's just a very smart very funny movie that kind of asks us like what does it mean to be human which is really all i'm looking for in a movie anyway and the fact that it does so in a kind of very loose soft sci-fi maybe i don't know A year I don't know. It's not like a year in the future. It's not 20 minutes into the future, but it is a believable future and one that I find both horrifying and fascinating at the same time. Incredibly humane, even for all of the body horror. And that's one of the things that I just loved about it was that it's it's smart and it's funny and it's humane. And it's also really gross. And it's able to do all of those things and balance them really well. I felt like I was in the hands of a master the whole time I was watching it.
3: If you are on Sarah's wavelength when it comes to the Alien franchise, you're gonna love this movie. Yes. Um <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's number 11 in my top 10, if that makes any sense. I I, I had I agonized wow. over I agonized over this or the one I have at number 10, but I'm so glad, Sarah, it's on your list so we can talk about it. Uh, it feels like a collaboration to me between Cronenberg and vendors, Vim vendors, mm. because it has that sort of meandering quality where just when you think you've got your got your your head wrapped around what's happening he introduces some other me some other random storyline that is so strange and complicates things I'm, I'm so glad you included it
2: And and complicates things with characters that feel both unique and also of that world and also like nothing else I've ever seen before. There's just some great stuff going on here. Scott Speedman's in this movie and I wasn't expecting to like (laughs) his character nearly as much as I did because he's kind of a slime ball. But I I feel like everybody else in the movie is too in their own way. And it, it all fits together just so beautifully without having any of the pieces have any symmetry to them at all.
1: It reminded Lea me Sabu a little bit everything. of Titan. Sorry, That's the, the only one that it re- really reminded me of was Titan,
2: which I have not seen.
1: Oh, oh it's okay.
3: very, very different than that. Titan, I was exhausted by fifteen minutes into Titan. Yeah, this, this is this is much. <laughs> I like much this a lot more. Quieter. <laughs> um, but I was gonna say Leia Sedu is in just about everything these days, and this this may be my favorite thing she's done. I'm I'm I have to think about that some more. But she's so good in oh. this. She's tremendous in it. She was Did so good you know, in the French
2: Dispatch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, I suppose my my number eight is a documentary, actually, "All the Beauty and the Bloodshed," directed by Laura Poitras, which is um, kind of a collage of the life of Nan Golden, both as an artist coming up in the 80s and 90s in New York City, um, as an addict who is holding the Sackler family to account and doing so in the forms of protest that kind of feel like art installations all their own. It's um, so really trying to speak justice into a system that isn't really all that interested in justice, it's more interested in prestige. Um, And it does so by weaving together different elements of Nan Golden's life of her work, you actually get to see some of the slideshows that she's famous for um, and get to understand the way that she approaches both her life and her work and then also her activism um, in a way that I found quite compelling. So all the beauty and the bloodshed, Um, the only documentary I think on my list. Um, But as far as documentaries go, I think this one's pretty tremendous.
3: Biggest gap in my movie going so far from 2022. And it played at SIF for several weeks here in Seattle. And I just, I I kept buying tickets and then canceling them.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Um, I think you'll like it Uh
2: when you get the chance to catch up with. Yeah,
1: I think it's supposed to be on HBO Max um, soon-ish. That's great great news. At least I have a note of that in in my spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I haven't seen it either. It
0: It sounds like three of the four of us have not. So, yeah, look forward to that one yeah number just... seven and then we'll go to jeffrey
2: oh gotcha sorry Um, uh, my number no seven is everything everywhere all at once which i think we've we've talked a decent amount about um already but it is a delight and a blast to watch with other people especially other people who have not seen it before and don't know quite what's coming um also deeply romantic movie and i think the parts that really work for me are the ones that are not the frenetic action sequences although those are very good too um, I think my favorite sequences are the ones that are really channeling Wong Kar Wai and In the Mood for Love. Um, a few very intimate mm. conversations in alleyways, lit in green, um, with kind of a saturated sort of film stock filter over everything. Um, and when I think about everything everywhere all at once, I really think mostly about Ki Hui Kwan and his just tremendous supporting performance. Um he's been rightfully nominated for it. I hope he wins. Um, that's probably the only thing that I'm truly actually hoping for from the Oscars this year. Um, because he's just a remarkable screen presence and we have not valued him nearly as much as we should have in his entire career.
1: I think all of us have read Walter Chaw's incredible piece about the movie. That's probably my favorite bit of film writing that I, that I read all year. Mm -hmm. Um, that, has a lot to do with his his uh relationship to the screen presence of ki hui kwan uh over the years as well as uh you know his his family his 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 mother in particular and that was that was a really special piece i'd encourage people to check that out
3: well it's if if this is a segue then it's perfect because it's (laughs) it's number 10 on my list there you go we'll take that Um, segue and I would just, I mean, I would echo everything Sarah said, um, and, and she said it so well. Um, if I were to add anything, I would just say it, it's rare that you get to see an actor who um, who has had this coming um, in a case as extreme as Kihei but but also Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she yes. has never had a role like this. And... I hate to say it, but at her age, it's very it's very unlikely that she would get a chance like this to show such agility, and not just physical agility, but acting agility. She's hilarious in this. But the whole ensemble is Stephanie Hsu is perfect um, to give Jamie Lee Curtis this role and have her... <laughs> <laughs> her body language in this movie is, I love they, her they need gut. to invent a new Oscar for this. Um, it's I, so great. I'm also a fan of Ryan Lott, this, uh, the musician who did the score. And he mm. did incredible things. Um, you, um, listeners might know him more. Uh, his performing name is Sun Lux. Um, his, his score is incredible. Um, I remember when he won like an award for breakthrough talent or something at the Calvin college uh festival of of faith and music uh now he's doing this and then you get mitsky and david byrne at the end with a great song it was a big year for mitsky at the movies mm-hmm. um uh yeah what a just i i don't know how to categorize this film um again i just wish it were a little shorter but um I loved it in the theater and I loved it on a laptop screen while Anne and I were uh, sort of riding out a thunderstorm in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, it, it works. It works in so many ways. So if it wins, I mean, that's I tend to be really cynical about the Oscars when it comes to originality and creativity. And I, I will have to uh, eat my words on that a little bit if it if it wins the grand prize. Nice. Your next one. Number nine, Uh, this is my documentary, I guess. Um, Mr. Bachman and his class. And I saw this on Mubi. uh, M-U-B-I, streaming service that is well worth its very affordable um, uh, subscription price, by the way. Uh, It is a long sit. Um, You've got to be in for uh, three hours and 40 minutes. Um, But as someone who um, I mean, if I were going to write about my heroes, I would start with my teachers. And this is a documentary celebrating one of those one in a million school teachers who uh, teaches in a uh, small town in Germany. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, Stadt Um, and his his class of elementary school students Uh, is a is a class of immigrants uh, a very diverse population and he just kind of sits there in his His version of fashion, which is very similar to like, I don't know, uh, a sort of winter's day Steve Zissou, if you can imagine that. (laughs) Um, And he just kind of riffs. He just kind of like starts talking to the kids about what's going on over here. And then he wants to know about the one who's quietly crying back in the corner. And then he picks up on some flirtatious tension between some of the boys and a girl over here. And somehow he, he brings in what he wants to teach about that day. But he can also take any kind of unexpected crisis and turn it into, uh, as they call, a a teachable moment. Um, And somehow this is all happening on cameras that must have been installed there for long periods of time because the students seem to have completely forgotten about them. Mm. And so it's one of those rare documentaries where you're watching a whole community just unfold one drama after another in front of the cameras. And they're getting it all and they are editing it all very smartly. And it becomes such a loving tribute to one of the most human teachers <laughs> if you know what i mean that i've I've ever seen in a film It it is it will make you just want to erase your memory of every uh scripted drama about an inspiring teacher that you've ever seen mm. and it's on the occasion of his retirement so it also feels like you're 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 seeing a star that is burning out and and maybe not just a person but a way of teaching i hope not but um it's hard to find people with with this combination of gifts so you won't regret the amount of time you've invested in it it's never boring um and it's still streaming on movie so so check check out mr bachman and his class
2: that's so good to hear that this one was one that i actually just had not heard of before i saw your list so i'm glad to have Mm. the recommendation i was looking into the
1: mood because i know decision to leave is exclusively on there at this point and i missed it in theaters Uh, how affordable is that
2: you want to want to give them a nice
1: plug (laughs) (laughs) under 10.
3: it might, yeah, it might be five bucks a month. It's oh. been a while since I've checked.
1: Okay, well then I definitely um, need to look into that. All right. And
3: I think I heard about this from Alyssa Wilkinson, but it would have been a long time ago. I think she saw it at a festival, maybe in twenty twenty one.
1: Okay. Um, wow. So I, I saw you, it quite a while ago. Your your next one also, technically, I believe is yes is earlier yes. than twenty twenty two, and I was not aware of the of the. Very distinct situation involved with this with this <laughs> film and how one would see it. Could you explain your number, your number eight film Memoria?
3: Wow. It, few films I've ever seen are going to be more difficult to explain. Um, but let me explain the situation. <laughs> um A Pichapong Warsetical is not only the most unpronounceable director name, and I may not have gotten it right, um, <laughs> but he's best known for Uncle Boon Me, who can remember his past lives. And Cemetery of Splendor. Um, this fits right in with his passions. He loves stories about the liminal space between ghosts and the living. He loves stories about how the past is not the past. He loves uh, David Lynchian weirdness. And Memoria is all of those things. And it's one of, it pro- it's probably my favorite Tilda Swinton performance ever. Mm, um, wow. which and there are so many of them, even just <laughs> in 2022, um, and apparently quite a few more coming in 2023. Um, she um, is a Scottish orchid farmer, so get that. Visiting her sister in Bogota, uh, her sister is sick, so she's doing a lot of sort of bedside time next to, to her sister. Um, while she's there, she's pursuing her curiosities, befriends a young musician who can help her she hopes understand why there is this loud noise she keeps hearing and that's um this is the situation this movie according to its director will not be available outside of a theatrical experience so if you can't catch it on the big screen you may never see it i don't know how successful he's going to be in sticking to this part Hmm. of me wants him to be successful because you need to be in a theater that shakes. Yes. You need you need to be in a theater that jolts you whenever she hears this noise, mm. um, and that's and it's not just that it's uh, it's the the sounds of the natural world as she ventures out uh, into the um, into the wild um, to try and figure out where this noise is coming from. There are all these strange scenes of these massive tunneling machines that are that are digging below the Andes. Um, and, the, I mean, all, all of this to say uh, there, there is method in the madness. There is something going on here about how the past is not done with us. And if we do not go and find out what our histories are, the rocks will cry out. Um, uh, it is so somewhere. strange, so mystical, so meandering again, in a Vim vendors kind of way, but this is the kind of role I love Tilda Swinton best in where things are so interior and where she is trying to solve mysteries and she's only a half step ahead of the rest of us. Um, And uh, I I just felt leaving the theater just so glad I had gone out of my way to not one of my favorite theaters in Seattle. The Egyptian, uh, yeah, I have a complicated relationship with that theater. Uh, I don't think its sound system is the best. I don't think its seats are comfortable. I think it's way too big for the size of its screen. Uh, but having said that, um, some of the best money I spent on a movie all year, and I, I hope it'll be one of those things they bring back around in revival screenings at Cinerama theaters and things like that, if such a thing still goes on anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's um, technically a 2021 film, played at festivals then, didn't get around to general audiences until 2022. All right,
2: it's a tremendous <laughs> movie. Yeah,
1: it really. I like. I saw it was playing. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll. Put that on my list something to check out but i did not know until it was too late that i had no chance to see it after theaters so that was disappointing but um i don't know i guess i'll keep on the lookout I've over seen the next uh, decade
2: Chicago, <laughs> so hopefully it will make its way back around to seattle at some point um because it's played chicago a couple of times and hopefully it'll make the rounds again the the original uh distribution model for this movie was that it was only ever going to be playing on a single screen in a single theater at any (laughs) given time and it was supposed to just make the rounds around the country that way um i think they decided at some point in april of last year that this was unsustainable so they did do a simultaneous release um but (laughs) i don't think there are any plans for any home video releases and while i wish that they would release it so that people could see it a little bit more easily. You really do have to see it on the big screen with a good sound system for certain. I,
1: there's only one movie I've seen that that is limited like that. It was the the documentary about the the it wasn't a documentary stuff. It was the remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark that those kids oh, made yeah. over the course of of 20 years or whatever. And yeah, due to legal issues, they could only show it if like they walked into the theater with the film and put it on. Um so I got to meet them and see that. And that was, that was great. Um, I know when I was, uh, when I was, uh, uh, more connected with things from, you know, having interned at, at John Malkovich's production company and, and they'd made ghost world on that. I know that, uh, Dan Klaus's niece told me he was working on a, a screenplay for, for a, uh, a, a, a dramatized version of that. It was called Raiders, the adaptation, mm-hmm. um, but I think it got shelved when that Son of Rambo movie came out. It was also <laughs> kids trying to recreate a movie that they love. But that was uh, yeah. not based on a real thing. So, um, yeah. Jeffrey's ne- number seven, right? Next one up. Yeah. Banshees. Well, this is one,
3: this is one we're all going to want to weigh in on, I think. Uh, Banshees yeah. of In a Sharon by Martin McDonough. Um, I saw for the first time in the company of Dr. Trainer Hansen, who is – I can hear him. He's in the office right next door to me here. <laughs> probably wishing we would invite him into this party um sorry um <laughs> but we had a great we had a great time watching uh this it laughed out loud all the way through it partly because just the element of surprise I had no idea where it was going and kept hoping it wasn't going to go where where it did go and then when it went there, I was so glad it did because of how much it made of that rather grim and grisly turn. Um, I love Colin Farrell. This has been quite a year for him. Mm-hmm. Three incredibly different performances, and he's masterful Four. in all of them. Four.
2: Four. He was in Thirteen Lives as well, and he's quite good at it.
3: Oh, I I haven't seen that. Yes. Wow. Thank you for catching that. You're
2: welcome. All right, now
3: I have to see that. <laughs> my, um, we'll talk about my favorite performance from him later. Um, and I think it's probably true for some of us. Um, but he's he's so good uh here as padrig the sort of the village idiot uh or at least the village dullard um is the word they might prefer um uh trying to deal with the fact that his 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 best friend column won't won't make eye contact won't talk to him won't spend time with him anymore and why uh well i don't know how much to say here but there's they're, they're rowing Column has a compelling reason <laughs> about why he's breaking up the band uh <laughs> And so we spend the whole time trying to figure out, are these these two ever going to kiss and make up? Um, Is this rift something that can be reconciled? And meanwhile, in the background, we have a civil war. We have the explosions of a civil war. And uh, McDonough never lets us forget, or maybe just lets us forget that's happening, and then brings it back to remind us that What's happening on a micro level is happening on a macro level. And if we don't pay attention to what seems absolutely absurd on a micro level, we will never get around to asking how absurd is it that it's happening on a macro level. Somehow we accept it in the large numbers. Eddie Isard has a great routine about this, how if you kill one person and you're on the news, everyone's like, how could this person have done such a thing? But if you kill 700,000 people, well, congratulations. I mean, that's that's amazing. Well done. Um, somehow, when numbers get that big, we can't think about it anymore. We can't process what's happening. And so what McDonough is doing is saying, this is the logic of war. And I'm going to boil it down to its most individual scale so you can see how stupid this is. Um, yet somehow he weaves this sort of Bressonian uh, storyline in with uh, even though Patrick is is such a dullard um, I don't know if it's the magic eyebrows or what but somehow the animals love him and uh, they he will invite them into his house so they have a warm place to stay and so it becomes a story about the difference between pursuing greatness and being one of the good guys mm-hmm. uh, and I can understand why some people have had an aversion to this film thinking that it's uh, merely provocative but i i think that's that's uh selling it short i think that it's a very very rich film and i have not always been a fan of the mcdonough films i'm not nearly as big on calvary as so many of my fellow christian moviegoers are who are like oh now here's one of the here's these are the kinds of movies we live for and i was like yeah i found it kind of contrived and the ending was a little over the top this one works for me all the way through (laughs)
1: I'll say for me, like I only got it on the micro and not the macro until I read Alyssa Wilkinson's piece. Mm-hmm. I am not a that's a great I, piece, an Irish historian enthusiast. So, like they say like the date that it takes place, but no part of me went, ah, that's when the Civil War is happening. And you know, they're like, Oh yeah, way over there. If you look in the distance, you can see like people there's some fighting going on over there. Um, but none of the parallels to the to the irish civil war were happening for me as i was watching it and so i'd very much like to watch it again um but it worked well enough as the micro story of of this little village and these men's relationship um that i quite enjoyed it and i wish that it would have enough of a of a cultural impact that i could say are we rowing um uh, to, to, to people and, and, and have them or rowan is does he say is is it more like row is that more how he says it Mm -hmm. yeah it's been a while um i wish we could say that more and and have people get it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it
0: it was um about 45 minutes into the movie i don't think i was liking it that much but then by the end of the movie it's on my top 10 list Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's a great movie um it's there are two Colin Farrell movies in my top 10 list, and this is one of them. And man, he has had an extraordinary year. And just a digression to after Yang for a second, it seems like I'm glad this is on all of our lists, because it seems like that one was really forgotten by a lot of people. And it's a really, really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Farrell's just had, I mean, this this has to be his best year ever. Um, Sarah, did you have any thoughts on Banshee?
2: I liked it. Um... I don't think I was fully on its wavelength, um, but I think it does a very good job of walking a fine line between depression and despair. Um, I definitely keyed in a little bit more on the micro side than the macro side. Like I was I was aware of the war going on, but um, I don't know, like it's good. I definitely like it more than the other Martin McDonough movies I've seen at this point. I think the script is incredible um but yeah good good movie um just didn't make enough to crack my top 10.
0: all right that that's fair um zach let me i'll do mine real quick and then uh you want to do your 10 through 7. i think you'd do this pretty quick so number 10 all this quiet on the western front which we talked about at the front of the show i have uh till at number nine which is um just you know it, it is such an affecting movie uh with with an incredible performance um by
2: uh Daniel Danielle
0: Deadweiler, yes good. um and it's I, I it's another one where I knew the general story of Emmett Till, but again to see it dramatized on the screen and um the the director intentionally did not show any violence being done to a black body, but the director did show, the aftermath of of Emmett Till lying in the open casket which historically did happen and then launched the civil rights movement and you know it's a pg-13 movie and as I was watching it I kept thinking you know in a couple years I could show my kids this my kids are eight and six so they're probably a little bit young now for just the subject matter of what happened because it is so gruesome but um I think it's a movie that was very intentionally made in in this time where we see books by black authors being banned, that this story that was so important to the civil rights movement could could get out there and be seen hopefully by a lot of people. Um, It it, yeah really, really great. and then my next movie, number eight, was Men by Alex mm-hmm. Garland, who has become a filmmaker. I'm I'm very, very excited about. I really liked this movie when I first saw it. And then we have mentioned Alyssa Wilkinson. I read her, I believe it was an interview with Alex Garland. And I like the movie even more because he was kind of talking about the, his interest, I guess, in the Garden of Eden and that whole story. And there's a lot of imagery from that movie, which is this is a horror film that that shows up in the film. And I mean, just the. The big scene, which you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, is so off the wall, wild and shocking, but just I amazing. It was hilarious. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's just it's amazing. I laughed um, so much
1: during that. I went with with a group of friends and we were dying watching that yes. movie. I think it may be different if you're watching it by yourself, but I don't know. That was yeah, it was something I,
0: no, it, it was funny. I, I saw it by myself and then with my wife Michelle. So I saw it twice. Um, but Yeah, fantastic. And then at number seven, I have a Top Gun Maverick, which is probably different from you guys, but I I had a blast watching this movie. I had a lot of fun. It is way better than the original. The original, I have a nostalgia for just growing up. Um, What's interesting is as a kid, I used to watch the original and I liked all the scenes and all the stuff that happened. I don't think the story is necessarily great. And as a kid, I wouldn't even like watching the very end. the the climax the big battle at the end of the first one I just thought it was just whatever you know the rest of the movie was a little more interesting to me but this one builds up nicely to the big climax um you know they they say this brought people back to the movie theaters and it felt like a 1990s kind of action movie to me when I was coming of age and it did not feature a comic book hero so there's that (laughs) all right Uh,
2: it's better than it has any right to be that's for sure
1: Oh the yeah, third act was the was very enjoyable. Uh, mm-hmm. Once the, once they got done with the majority of the movie's references to the first one, the third act went in a t- different direction. That <laughs> was honestly surprising, and and I really liked that. But the third yeah. act,
3: the third act is just a big reference to the the third act of Star Wars. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm right. gonna rein myself in. <laughs> yes, um, yes. No, that's fine. I, I see
0: it as a homage, right? But but I yeah, doing the trenches with the missiles up above and trying to hit the target yep i you know i definitely see it that
1: part I mean, I, yes i, I, I mean ever, admit- everybody's seen it so we can spoil it i like the yeah. more like like the they're downed and behind enemy lines and need to yes. figure out how to get that aspect of it less less than the yes we need to hit this exact spot to blow up the death star um because yeah that was straight up star wars but yeah no i didn't i didn't uh envision a top gun movie where they would allow maverick to get shot down and have to fend for himself or whatever. That was interesting. But freaking naming that guy Rooster, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: See, as as someone who uh, is from a military family who has had siblings follow in their parents' footsteps into the military, actually a lot of that makes perfect sense. A lot of Top Gun Maverick really rang true for me in terms mm. of children following their parents and trying to live up to and then also surpass their parents legacy like that's something that made sense to me um i don't buy top gun maverick at all but also it it rang true even though it wasn't actually any of it was real
1: i mean Uh, they say that the flight scenes were real right Mm -hmm. that's real g's that they were really up there they weren't right. flying
2: the planes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were in the back seat and acting
0: like they were flying the planes. Yeah. Hey, while well actually they Navy didn't do that did. in the first one though. So right.
3: Those those there you open, go. those opening scenes felt like time travel for me though, because if I were like to rate my top ten movies I have seen in theaters most frequently when Top Gun was new, it was playing in a 99 cent double feature theater a few blocks from my house, and I went over and over <laughs> and over, and that's oh that's several decades ago, and I haven't watched it since. So to be in that theater and hear those chords and see that aircraft carrier, um, I it was weird. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like somebody had brought a box up from the basement that I had forgotten existed and opened it. And we were going through what was inside. It was, that was a strange.
0: Oh, and so intentional on the part of Tom Cruise. And I think the director was Christopher McQuarrie who does the mission impossible movies. So intentional bring Yep. Same, same song.
2: Oh, it's not.
0: He's a producer. Okay. I thought he like co-wrote it. Oh, Joseph Kaczynski. Right. um, Who did oblivion with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Which I liked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but bringing the nostalgia back. But I think you know this is such a better film than than the original. So, Zach, what's your uh, ten through seven? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, The Woman King is my number ten. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one that I thought benefited a lot from being in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of uh, talk leading up to the Oscars where that was the sort of thing a lot of folks expected to get uh, Viola Davis a nomination and uh, Gina. Uh, Prince Blythe. Did I get that Gina right? Prince Blythewood. Blythewood, Wood, yes. Uh, uh best director potentially. Um uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was a really effective, really engaging, uh, unique sort of action movie that I don't think I'd seen before. I I really, really liked um the the actor a lot of people have have talked about her since then i don't have a list of all the names of everybody in there but uh the the one that was also in matilda and uh i don't remember but but uh there there were some some faces i hadn't really seen before that uh i thought were very engaging it was the action scenes were were compelling the the cinematography i thought was excellent it was just Mm -hmm. a very enjoyable movie uh 3,000 Years of Longing was my number nine. George Miller's uh, surprise, I have a movie. Uh, (laughs) Like, what did they announce it? Like a month before it came out? And there was, you know, I could say, you know, it's uh, Tilda Swinton meets a genie. And uh, they spend the movie with her figuring out what the wishes are going to be and all that. And you get a lot of uh, George Miller's various fascinations with strange sights and interesting bodies and but it was also just full of just like classic director that knows what he's doing stuff you know match cuts and sound bridges Mm -hmm. and and that was the sort of stuff that just making me so happy when they cut from the 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 wheels down on the jet to the the wheels of a shopping cart or something (laughs) and it's like it's just these little things that he just thinks about all of it and so it was it was just an absolute joy for me to watch that one and uh can't wait to to see his uh his 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 prequel to fury road um, I'm assuming it, remind, it, was- it reminded me a lot of a Genet film like mm-hmm. Amelie
3: mm-hmm. or Delicatessen, the way it zigzags around and leaps from one story to another story to another story. Um, and a lot of those the, the visual trickery. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen a movie like that for a while. And it was it was it was fun to see him taking a swing at it.
1: Yeah, it was a very playful mm-hmm. movie. So I I really enjoyed that. Uh my my number eight was Women Talking. My number seven is marcel the shell with shoes on and, and uh, we, we can talk more about that later I'll, I'll just list the the rest of mine uh going up here uh my uh number six that would be is weird the al yankovic no. story <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> which, old move which it was so funny and i just had a blast i had friends come over and, and we watched it as a big group and you know it's about the story of this struggling artist who ends up dating Madonna and writes this <laughs> incredible original song called Eat It only to have Michael Jackson swoop in with a <laughs> very similar sounding song and kind of wreck his career trajectory so you really feel for the guy you know you really get the sense of 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 al as as a real mensch and and, you know, an artist that, that tries and tries and tries, but then you, you know, you can't, you can't talk Michael Jackson. Everybody, everybody's going to think that Beat It is the original because he's Michael Jackson. What can you do? So that was very enlightening, I thought. Um, well, so basically, also, so basically it's, kind of funny. It's,
3: it's, it's, it's tar. You know, mm-hmm. all over again with mm-hmm. uh, you know the lo- looking up to the the specter of Mahler and all that. I mean, it's it's the same story. It was very similar. Um,
0: I um I know the biggest. I have a good friend. Hello, Jake Mark. If you're listening, he probably is not, but he is the biggest Weird Al fan of all time, and he definitely approves of that movie. So <laughs> it was super. There you go. Fun. There's your validation.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah. My my next one. My my number five is Avatar: The Way of Water, Little and. Movie. You know, I'll say I saw the first one one time in theaters. It and Coraline are the only movies I thought that were improved by 3D in any sort of meaningful way. I didn't watch it again until like a week before seeing this because I was going to take my son. And so we watched the the first one at home. And, uh, you know, it was fine. And then he and I went and saw this one. And it's it's wild that a movie could be my number five of the year despite me being like, yeah, but I mean, the first like hour or so is just, <laughs> just it's fine. It's setting things up. But uh, James Cameron has a lifelong obsession with water and and him structuring the second half of this movie around underwater scenes. It was just so in his element uh, that you could tell he had a blast doing it and, and I loved it too. You know, there's all sorts of references throughout to his various films. And for me, I think the abyss is my favorite James Cameron movie. So (laughs) going back into the underwater stuff, um, you know, I, I thought that the, the 3d was, was something that, that really enhanced it. And just thinking of things like, Having the camera pointing up at the surface of the water and you seeing the 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 sun way up there and having a a sense of how deep they are in there. And all he did to with with tiny little things in the foreground, you get great sense of depth there. And it it was just a really, really neat, big theater experience. Um, Glass. Yeah, I think. um... was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say, they say James Cameron is really the only director worth paying 3D for, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because the Avatar movies, I mean, yeah, and it, it was a lot of fun. The battle scene is just epic. And I'll just add real quick that there's so many battle scenes, like think of how terrible michael bay's transformer movies are because there's close-up close-up shots where you just hear metal on metal yeah but cameron will will pull back and you'll be able to see in the fight scenes like who is where and who is doing what and he's just a as a battle filmmaker i guess as a war filmmaker in that sense
1: i think he's just extremely talented yeah and i i'd liken it afterwards like you know cameron with water is like herzog with jungle Mm -hmm. um like you i i want to see any of those (laughs) like um so my number four is glass onion i think everybody knows about that one that was just super fun i I took my son to that and then the family watched it later as well um my number three this is the one that that i'm going to stake my claim on this is this is the one that i'm most passionate about including here i think is pearl uh ty west wow uh horror sort of but i thought more comedy take on sort of a a a wizard of oz sort of story and i didn't even see x which which uh i believe also came out in 2022 at the very beginning
2: and then pearl was the was the prequel yeah so so it's
1: the prequel to a movie that i didn't see um (laughs) i do intend to see x but i i don't think that I was really missing anything huge in the story within Pearl bite by, by not having seen that. And uh M- Mia Goth's performance was just so distinct. Uh so engaging for me. Just every time she says Howard, <laughs> I was just dying. I just loved it. Um so I I I I saw that a couple times. I took my wife to it after having seen it once and I Maybe it's the funniest movie of the year for me. <laughs> like, I just really got a kick out of it. Um, I really I want
3: to see it because of your enthusiasm, but I, I, I might. I don't know how confident I am about this, but I might recommend that you you might appreciate Pearl more if you don't see X. Yeah. Um, I I suffered through X. I can appreciate some technical aspects of it, but it made it really hard for me to want to see Pearl. Uh, as much as uh, me a goth fan as i am and then there was just a whole lot of horror films i saw at the end of the year and i just couldn't do another one so i will catch up with pearl because of you Zach. but um uh, and x is
1: far more of a traditional horror movie than mm-hmm. than pearl yes. right yeah. yeah yeah I it i i yeah it's it's weird f- I, to, to even think of it to me as as a horror movie there's only a couple instances of of violence of, of Gore or whatever but um it it is so much a tonal movie it it walks that line and, and it maintains this this precise tone so well from the font of the credits to this the swelling music and and the the bright sort of Technicolor cinematography of the the era I think isn't the deal with these movies that he's trying to shoot them in a, in a manner consistent with Mm -hmm. with the style that it takes place in so x is a like they're filming a a porn film in the 70s and so it's more more gritty and i don't know if they like shot it on 16 millimeter necessarily but giving that sort of effect whereas this is like almost like a a a musical of the 50s or something so big bright colors (laughs) big orchestral music um big performances but they absolutely worked for me um, Great performance, just incredible. Yeah, and my 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 number two is everything, everywhere, all at once, and my number one. Uh, I'll I'll wait and we'll get to that uh, later. <laughs> okay, uh, Sarah, do you want to give us
0: your uh, six through one? You want to count it down?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number six is one that I know is probably going to be a little controversial here. Um, I saw it's, it. It's uh, Phil Tippett's Mad God, which. Um, it's a it's a stop motion nightmare of a movie yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, kind of hieronym, a little bit Hieronymous Bosch, um, a little bit I don't I don't even know how else to describe it. it. It feels like a fever dream. When I was watching it, I felt as though I was watching something that I should not have been. It is not a pleasant watch. It is not for the faint of heart. And yet at the same time. There is this thread of hope just at the very end that refuses to be snuffed out. And that plus the incredible technical skill that went into making this movie um, just kind of floored me. And it's a movie that I found to be so deeply challenging that I kept wanting to come back to it, even though I knew it was going to be kind of a painful experience. And so not a movie that I recommend lightly, um, but a movie that I found deeply rewarding and rich and I did end up going back to it and I found it even richer the second time around. So Phil Tippett's Mad God is my number six.
1: I feel like it, cool. it, it's it's one of those films that makes you go, is is the direct is it's Phil is Phil okay It took him 30 years to make it. Exactly. He was sitting
2: with these characters for that
1: long. You think, you you know, uh, you know, Terrence Malick started working on on footage of what what became Tree of Life you know in the 70s and you know he had this project he went through you know, it was called Q at one point i think and and it went through all this and but what he makes is something beautiful and and lovely and and you want to spend time in that and it's very long because it's it's a it's a really enjoyable film to sit with and Phil had 30 years of this nightmare um so much fluids
2: gestating I think is a good word for for (laughs) the process that it took to get to that point yeah
1: absolutely yeah Um, there's
2: and the plot doesn't even really all that matter very much it's just a descent into hell and then you keep going deeper um and stranger I think but
3: hmm.
2: yeah it's it's a tremendous movie um so mad god number six Gestating,
3: uh, gestating. There's that. There's that alien fan again. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I was thinking
1: of the eggs. Uh, yeah. The alien. Yeah, that's what it feels like.
2: You gotta have that body horror in there somewhere. I guess I have two. Um, technically, but they're both. Uh, they're both absolute knockouts of movies. Um, my number five is Tar. The saga of Lydia Tarr, the famous uh, composer and conductor, who I think a lot of people actually thought was real after the movie came out because there's quite a (laughs) level of verisimilitude in there. The movie does pull in some very interesting cameos. I think Adam Gopnik's in there, Alec Baldwin's in there, like playing himself. interviewing her for his podcast. But what I loved about this was just the level of interiority and the way that it gets into this character's head right as she's about to hit the peak of her career, right before the sudden and um, very inevitable plunge. It doesn't feel like it's giving anything away to say that this is a woman who is headed for a fall. And it is an illustration of the ways that power corrupts people and the ways that that corrupting influence will stick with you even after you've lost your hold on that power and you try to hang on to whatever vestige of it that you have left. It's beautifully shot. Um, I think it's pretty tremendously paced. There's kind of this thread of um, conversation that's been going around about how, whether or not the last third of the movie is a dream or not. And I think that that is complete and total bunk. Um, I read this movie perfectly, literally. Yes. And I think it's richer for that, honestly, because it does lead to the idea of there being consequences for Tar's behavior. And it also lends itself to the idea that she may have fallen to essentially what she considers to be her rock bottom, and yet she's going to find a way to climb out of that hole and it's really only a matter of time. So um, a very dark, very funny ending to the movie, I think, which I won't give away. Um, but uh, it it is a, it's a, just a tremendous tonal piece I think and one that's very patient and willing to give the audience like a little bit of ambiguity to play with but honestly I I came away feeling a very specific way about this character and I think that I was supposed to but I was also struck by just how complex and you know difficult a character she was as well tremendous uh, performance by Kate Blanchett as the Titular character
0: yeah is she going to win or is it going to be Michelle Yeoh
2: uh, i mean uh,
3: i'm i'm gonna bet michelle but Barry yeah mm-hmm. i think, I think so okay mm-hmm. um i yeah if i could switch any of the oscars i might get nina haas a um supporting actress nomination oh, because that's a good choice but I, I i love I, I love this film too but i find it i find it really hard to enjoy outside of observing the technical aspects of it because the main character is so difficult Mm. and so frustrating to me. And if Nina Haas's character wasn't there, who is so um, tender and so human and so observant and does so much with so little in that film, um, she was my connection all the way through both times I saw it. Mm. And such an extraordinary performance. And that's an underrated actress in world cinema anyway. So, um, I'm glad. I'm glad it's on your list, so we get to talk about it. Yeah, it's such a great one.
1: What What is your thought? I I, I saw takes on it that were describing it as being being a, a warning about cancel culture. Mm. Well, and... I think
2: the I think that's too simple a reading of the movie, honestly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I just I did not see that at all, and that mm-hmm. seems more like like the you know women talking is anti-christian sort of like super service yeah. <laughs> level thing but yeah that was i don't know if if other people saw those takes going around about it but those kind of I saw those. Me.
0: yeah i saw those takes before i saw the movie um i mean you could probably make that case a little bit there is that pretty big monologue by um lydia tara kate blanchett toward the beginning where i think there's a single take of the camera she's walking around the rehearsal thing kind of talking about various hot button issues um but yeah i i thought it didn't make my top 10 i thought it was a good film um i i really liked todd fields in the bedroom from way back when his his debut with tom wilkinson and sissy spacek and yeah he's a he's a good filmmaker
3: little children is my favorite of his um uh, Mm. tar may pass it up um but this is what this is one of those movies where every time you see it you're going to you're going to make more connections between very different scenes. Well, the second time I watched it, makes sense. it, kind of blew my mind to see her in front of the orchestra, looking out at everybody paying attention to her. Then she goes home and she sees her daughter has set up all of her dolls in the arrangement of an orchestra facing a conductor. Mm-hmm. And then later there's a scene I'm just going to call the fishbowl scene mm. that to me is the hardest hitting scene in the entire film. Um, and it's a gamble that Todd Field takes in, in taking us there, um, but that's where you can see that he he's really been studying the masters, and he's willing to build this movie in such a way that nine out of ten people in the movie will probably only see it, or at, at the movie, will probably only see it once, and will probably thus miss the key connections in order to be able to interpret it well, um, and he's he's okay with that. He's patient with that. That's mm-hmm. That's a... I mean that's what Kubrick would have done, you know? That's what Malick does
1: all the time. <laughs> are you are you talking about the the scene where the, the with the symbolism of the number 5 yes. comes into play? Yeah, cuz yes. I I made that connection uh in the moment, but the people that I saw it with didn't and so in in discussing it afterwards, they were like, "Oh, that's what's going on there." And it led to a really nice conversation, but yeah, that scene i was my favorite part of the whole movie for sure yeah
2: complex and and thorny um my number four is another complex movie um decision to leave by park Chanuk, um which is kind of a love story kind of a murder mystery kind of just a, a an entanglement um It feels romantic and then it also doesn't feel remotely romantic at all. And I've seen plenty of people um, compare this to Hitchcock's Vertigo and I get that, but I think that Decision to Leave is able to give its female characters a level of interiority that Hitchcock is simply just incapable of doing. Um, Tang Wei plays the female protagonist here and she lends so much gravity to her character in a way that feels like she's not fighting the script and she's not fighting the director for that position which is the kind of thing that i i tend to see with female lead roles like this where you are intended to see the woman as a cipher and not fully human because that's the way that the protagonist sees her and this movie never quite falls into that trap um beautiful swoony i love the cinematography here there's there's several incredible shots that involve a shift in focus um, and i'm thinking primarily of the initial interrogation scene where um our cop meets his murder suspect for the first time and he's asking her about the mysterious death of her husband and i have no idea how they pull this off but the the two characters are shot in profile facing each other and there's a mirror, like an observation mirror right behind them. And at one point in the shot, one of them in the room is in focus and then the other's reflection in the mirror is in focus behind them. And then the, the reflection um, and the real life person swap focus multiple times throughout the scene until finally both of the characters within the room are in focus again, but their their figures inside the mirror are no longer in focus. And it just does so much with um, the people that we think we see and the people that we think are speaking to us, but that we don't really fully know that it's just it's a beautiful piece of, of symbolism on screen. And I just I adore that shot so much. It's doing so much work without calling too much attention to itself but it's also very swoony showy filmmaking in a way that makes perfect sense for that story so decision to leave i i absolutely love
1: i could use a hundred dollar word it sounds like that shot is a split diopter
2: i think it is i have no idea how they pulled off the focus Ooh. pole in order to get that split <laughs> diopter going
0: though. <laughs> listener i have no idea what that is
2: <laughs> um technical filmmaking term but essentially it allows you to have two points of focus within a frame at different depths of field within the oh, frame cool. mm-hmm. it's a really neat trick and once you start seeing them um, and you watch a lot of like masters you'll see them everywhere and it's always a joy to to point out and be like oh that's a split diopter shot i love that shot
3: it also yeah. it also gives you a shot through the eyes of the corpse that the police are standing around and, yes. and you get to watch an ant crawl across the camera lens it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's cool it's so relentlessly
1: visually creative yeah i really want to see it Hey, before we get into the the second half of this episode, just want to let you know the next uh, several minutes are going to be a discussion of the movie After Sun, uh, about eight minutes, and we really get into spoilers, um, but kind of couldn't talk about it without doing that. So if you want to avoid that, go ahead and and skip forward about eight minutes. All right, thanks. Here we go. Um,
2: another movie that um I think is visually creative, but in a much more gentle way, I think I'm a lot less over the top. Um, my number three is Charlotte Wells's After Sun, which is one of these semi memoir movies that I think um, has been kind of in in vogue lately. Um, and After Sun is another movie that I kind of underestimated the first time I saw it in the theater and then the more I thought about it, the more it knocked me off my feet. Um, The plot's quite simple. It's just about a, a girl and her father going on a vacation in Turkey. And it's clear that the two of them don't get to spend very much time with each other, but they love each other very much. And that's really all that there is to it. But the trick of the movie is that most of it is happening in the memory of the girl decades later on down the line. Um, Where she's watching VHS tapes that they took on this vacation. And so we get to see her sort of reconstructing her memories of this vacation with her father and trying to go back and understand who he was as a person because she's beginning to approach the same age. At this point in time, as she's remembering the story as he was when they took that vacation together, um, there's a lot going on about the the unknowability of another human being and the complexity of another human being and then also coming to recognize them in yourself as well. Um, And if you haven't had the chance to see it, it is quietly devastating and very, very beautiful. And one of my all time favorite closing shots in a movie probably ever. Yeah, mine too. Mm -hmm. You're going to
1: have to tell me what the closing shot is. We cannot include it in here, but I've heard people say that it was yeah. one of the most confounding experiences for me of the year, and it made me feel dumb, and I got really frustrated <laughs> that I oh, felt no. that way because <laughs> i per- well, I purposely went in knowing nothing. I don't think I watched the trailer. I just knew this is probably for me. Mm. I was expecting to love it. And even after having seen it, I'm like, yeah, it seems like it for me, but um, I don't know partly the the framing I kept thinking. That at some point the focus of it was going to be on the present day, and it was going to go off from there. But it kept being about the 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 girl and and her father when back when when she was young, and uh, so we saw so little of the adult uh, one that I almost feel like that didn't even need to be there. Um, but I don't know. We see her popping in a videotape, so we see that. But I spent half the movie just wondering where they were. <laughs> and and finally cuz they're talking about like like he's very poor and yet they appear to be on a lavish to some extent vacation to me but maybe it's just as an american we don't travel enough and this is this is a vacation that people in europe could quite easily take but i'm like is he poor is he not cuz this it, they're somewhere that is very far away from where they normally live it seems to me um and then i also afterwards like a lot of people make make a big deal out of there's a particular scene with the song under pressure mm-hmm. which i associate more with vanilla ice than than, than david <laughs> bowie or queen i don't like queen and and i'm also not a super lyrics first person uh, so i heard people saying like I, like I heard an interview with Charlotte Wells and like it had to be that song. And then heard guys on film spotting be like, that's the scene that like makes it all work. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know what they're seeing there. And then like three days ago, I'm like, oh, like the last minute of the song, the line that is repeated over and over explains what this moment is, I guess. Like very literally tells us what this is. And I just wasn't paying any attention to the lyrics of it um so is that what the revelatory moment about that scene is that's like
2: part of it the last um, dance
1: you know to say you know this is the last you're like
2: <laughs> it is the last dance but i think the song um does a good job of getting across column the father um who is um played by paul Mescal in a tremendous performance um I think a lot of the rest of the song is is kind of talking about what he's going through and what he what he's trying to prevent his daughter from knowing about too early. Um, you mentioned not being sure about the vacation that they're taking, and I think part of it is that Column is putting up a, a brave front for his daughter. So he can't he can't afford this vacation and yet he's going to take her on it anyway. And so there's there's a, a line in the song um that's a, that's the terror of knowing what this world is about watching some good friends screaming let me out and everything that column does in every single frame of this movie you can kind of feel his body screaming let me out of here i don't know what to do and at one point his daughter sophie played by frankie corio um mentions that she feels just bone tired and the way that he reacts to that mentioning of feeling bone tired is that this moment of recognition where I don't think they explicitly stated in the movie, but I read it as he is is suffering some pretty severe depression and he's worried that this is something that she is also going to go through in the future as well. But he, he deals with it with such a light touch and the movie deals with it with such a light touch that you, you don't really need to process all of those emotions in the moment. And I think they hit a little bit harder in retrospect, which is kind of what Charlotte Wells is going for with mm-hmm. the framing device of um, – Sophie watching these memories on VHS tape a little bit later, so I think we can get into the final shot maybe off the mic. Um, yeah, no,
1: we can we can it's, cut it's that. So in. Yeah. Is 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 the final shot like her turning around and getting on the plane?
2: So she's no. getting on the plane, and um, it's it's the shot where she's sitting on the couch, and the camera slowly turns, and you see him in the corridor in the airport with his video camera, and then he turns around, and walks through a double door and um, walks into the The, dance hall that has been intercut throughout the entire movie. Oh,
1: that's the last shot, oh. That is the last shot. Mm -hmm. And
2: that moment when the doors open and he walks into the blackness and you realize he's never coming back, like Mm -hmm. it gives me chills just thinking about it Mm -hmm. um, because it does so much to tell you about what happens to him without actually explicitly telling you what has happened to him.
3: I can't, I can't, let us go without talking about the importance of the lyrics of losing my religion in this film Mm -hmm. um Mm. that that choice for karaoke I've heard some critics say that's that's laying it on a bit thick I don't know I that's one of my favorite songs of all time and every line in that song works in this movie for me um and then how they how they manipulate the rave strobing so that it's it's the memory of the dance but it's this surreal dream version of the dance where he is obviously having some kind of panic attack, mm-hmm. and and then the adult version of her is there in the strobing, trying to trying to reach him through the crowd. Um, there's just so much uh, that that works for me about about that that sense that the, the strobing is also sort of a reference to to the the camera right to the filming of all this and the fact that all she has in a sort of minority report kind of way, all she has are are these these video uh, references to something that she's desperately trying to remember. Um, and I can't help but think about what Walker Percy has written about how the the distancing effect of images and how pictures steal our memories so if we have videos of these things they become what we remember and we become we're even farther from the real thing from what it felt like to be standing there um oh man that that's number 12 on my list and um i think this is the most likely thing to change over the years as i change my list because at one point it was it was either this or my number one. And then I got into a big wow. argument with two different critics about this film. And they were both very, very, um, they, they think it's wildly overrated mm. and they, they made mm. me so uncertain that I decided I had to knock it down until I see it again. So. Like I said,
1: it feels so much like something that I should really resonate with. I mean, all that father stuff is, is, is big yeah. for me, you know? Um, but uh, yeah I need to see it again I think I think it's one of the rare ones that I would have benefited from having watched the trailer beforehand. Mm. I was like when is the story kicking in isn't it about the adult mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah yeah I, I just I felt dumb and that made me feel bad like, <laughs> I'm not smart enough with movies oh no I don't I don't <laughs> understand after sun uh so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it again I'm pretty sure about that
2: you definitely should because it's it's worth revisiting and it does get richer with rewatches I believe.
0: Yeah. All right. great yeah. Well, we got to hear the top 2, the big top 2 from Sarah.
2: Yeah, uh my number 2 is Jordan Peele's Nope, um which yes. was one of the most fun experiences I had in the movie theater this past summer. Um I don't know. I I think Jordan Peele keeps getting better and better for me. Um I actually like this better than either of his previous two movies. And I was also one of those people that liked us even more than Get Out. You um, do. Yeah, he's he's just I'm so- I'm the reverse. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I think he gets um, worse
1: with each one, but-
2: <laughs> Oh, no, I think he's getting richer and more complicated. And he's interested in in going down all of these fun rabbit holes and also having fun with the audience. Like, there are some really fun moments where I could tell that he was having fun playing on our emotions as we're watching this movie. Um, And also just very rich thematically where he, he, he's focused primarily on the machine that is Hollywood and the wild animal that is Hollywood and fame and storytelling and how it is impossible to tame that beast, no matter how hard you want to try. Um, and mm-hmm. he does it in such a visually inventive way, in such a creative way by kind of smashing it into a genre picture of this alien invasion or or is it kind of idea. And I love that you can't really boil it down to just one thematic thing. He's playing with multiple things that all sing in harmony with each other. Um, also really good performances by Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, especially. Um, very funny movie, very funny script um just caught me by surprise and then continued to keep me by surprise and i found myself kind of laughing with delight as i was watching it even during some of the more horrifying parts just because i could tell that jordan peele himself was having fun putting those pieces <laughs> all together so uh
0: no. yeah oh man that i remember you guys talking about seeing and believing when daniel is sitting in his pickup truck with the alien overhead and it's like this terrifying scene and he just reaches over and locks the door and he gets and that's one of the funniest things i saw last year i think
1: as well i um, I, I probably would have liked it more if, if the if the file hadn't been corrupted at the theater oh uh, no. yeah right they had to fix it right in the middle of the big chimp scene
0: oh Oh, so no. I, oh no, yeah, that's that's bad.
1: Yeah, so Ugh. at least they were able to fix it. They didn't I didn't have to go home and come back and watch the whole thing over again. Um, but yeah, it was like you're that's sitting there for for 20 minutes and then had to go back 10 minutes and watch Yeah, you know, it really just messed with the whole experience so
2: yeah that's such a shame because I feel like the momentum of the movie works so well and the pacing is so good that to interrupt that I think probably didn't do the movie any favors either. yeah that's,
1: that's maybe the worst scene to have that happen in that, yeah. that scene was really really something so yeah it, it,
3: it has it has some pretty great special effects uh especially the the farther the film goes but my favorite special effect in the whole thing is Michael Wincott where did they find him? I mean, I haven't seen him in a movie for so long and they bring him back. Uh, he is one of the most singular screen presences and I was just so happy to find out he's still around.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, oh, wow. All right. Well, we got to do the drum roll or something for Sarah's number one. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't think it's much of a secret because I've been singing the praises of this movie literally for an entire year at this point. Uh, my number one is Koganada's After Yang, which is the story <laughs> of a family who has um lost a family member in this case it's uh in the form of a robot that they purchased in order to give their adopted daughter a companion and a tie back to her home country and he breaks right after the beginning of the open or right after the end of the opening credits and then the rest of the movie is just this family trying to pick up the pieces after yang is gone and It's such a smart movie about grief and loss and coming to terms with the person that you thought you knew but didn't fully know, which I think is just a theme in a lot of the movies that I loved this year. And I know a lot of other folks um, here really liked Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which is another favorite of mine from this year. Both kind of dealing with similar themes of, of grief and loss and coming to terms with it in very different ways from very different angles. But the thing that works for after Yang for me is Koganada's direction and then also the cinematography by Benjamin Loeb, just the way that the family is framed within their house so that the windows and doors all kind of cut them off from each other as they're going through their individual processes of grieving. And as the movie goes on, those doors and those windows begin to open up in new and surprising and interesting ways, both for the family members and then for those of us in the audience watching them. Um, I don't know It's I just it feels so smart about the idea of loss. It's just a beautiful sci fi movie without getting too hung up in the science or of it all. Um, yeah, I just, I adore After Yang. I could talk about it forever. I'm going to give everybody else a chance to talk about it too. Um, but that's my number one of the year is Koganata's After Yang.
1: That was my number one as well. And and I, so that that was like February or so when that became available March, to I see, think. like on, on Showtime yeah. or something. I know that I I saw it just a few weeks before Everything Everywhere All at Once came out and i'm glad i did that cuz like i said i i went to see that one five times and yet still each time i was like yeah i still like after yang more than this <laughs> like after <laughs> yang it's just nothing topped it so it's been so long i haven't rewatched it. it i mean i i've been meaning to to buy the blu-ray and watch it again um but nothing nothing left me with the feeling that after yang left me with it was it was so meditative and and just Controlled in all the best ways. You just got the sense that Koganada is just doing exactly what he wants to, just putting all of the pieces in the perfect position, and it it was really really impressive. And 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 a shame that for as many um, folks like us that seem to love it, I just don't hear much about it in the culture at large. You know, no no nominations for Oscars or anything, um, but boy, boy, did it hit me. And yeah, stories of grief always, always hit me. I, I, I think I may have cried watching that one. Mm-hmm. Um, It was, it was a special movie.
3: It just kills me that it didn't get a wide theatrical release. Um, yeah. That, that cinematography deserves a big screen. When, when I was able to access it on Showtime, I reserved the biggest classroom on campus with the biggest screen and the best projector and went in there and sat there all by myself and watched the whole thing just so i could uh, get as close to a theatrical experience as i could and um the quietest science fiction film maybe i've ever seen Mm
4: -hmm.
3: um and also maybe the scene of the year for me uh with uh yang and jake talking about tea um and i feel like the film spotting podcast has stolen all my thunder on this but um <laughs> they they could, they couldn't stop talking about that scene either um and it rivals um a moment at the end of fablemans where one great actor is imitating another great filmmaker um uh colin farrell how is this the same actor that plays the penguin in the batman being <laughs> so gentle and so quiet and such such a wonderful father and husband figure in this Um, not that he's perfect he's got a lot to learn but he's open to learning um yeah just such a such a beautiful film I I went on and on about this on my own I I did a film countdown on substack this week and I did a 10 minute video for each of my top 10 films so I'll just say I have a lot more to say about this I'll save it for that because I know that that we're we're running a little long here but um um, Koganata, yeah. is now, Koganata is now my favorite American filmmaker. Mm. Um, wow. No, okay. I mean, I would say Jim Jarmusch has been my favorite for a while, but now if I saw a theater, if I walked by a theater and there was new stuff by Malik and Jarmusch and Scorsese and, um. <laughs> Um um oh I'm blanking on her name. Help me, the writer. Um, no Chloe Zhao. Yeah, Chloe Zhao. Thank you. Chloe Zhao. If those names were lined up and Koganata was on the list, I would go into the Cogonata arena first. Um mm-hmm. he's he's the one I'm most excited about and who's doing the the most exciting new things for me. And it has a lot to do with quiet, it has a lot to do with mm-hmm. a very a very patient, observant spirit. Um and he seems to have Haley Lee Richardson following him, following him around, which is always a good thing. No
2: arguments for me here either.
0: She's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let me go ahead and read uh, from six down because I don't. I probably won't have many comments because most of these have already been covered by other people. And then we'll get Jeffries real quick. Uh, so I have Banshees at number six. Uh, number five is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Mm-hmm. Uh, love that movie. It could probably be higher than for me the number five Uh, my family loved it my son who's six said there wasn't a bad guy so I don't know if he liked it as much but my daughter eight, loved it as well as my (laughs) wife Michelle Um, really great movie everything everywhere all at once is number four Uh, nope is number three I I concur with what uh, Sarah said Uh, Jordan Peele is I mean my favorite movie makers of all times probably the Coen brothers Jordan Peele with three films is already up there as one of those guys where I will probably see everything he makes for the rest of his life, the rest of my life, and be excited about it. I, his three films, I think, are amazing. Uh, number two is After Yang, a mm-hmm. beautiful movie, as you guys have all said. And I have number one, The Fablemans. Uh, being a kid that was grew up watching Steven Spielberg movies, I felt like he was a third grandpa to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, telling us scary stories, Jaws, telling us stories of awe and wonder, close encounters of the third kind, E.T., and then telling us adventure stories, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then got around to telling us, you know, the the horrors of the world, Schindler's List, and uh, the horrors of World War II, Saving Private Ryan, and I feel like The Fableman's is his autobiographical movie, that Now that I've watched it, I can go back and re-watch all of those movies that I've seen countless times and probably get new things about who this guy is behind the camera and what he was doing in each of these movies. And that, for me, uh, is just magical. And I think one of my all-time favorite cameos, maybe, at the end of the movie, I don't know if I should give it away if people haven't seen it, but uh, just
3: amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's number five on, on my list and so, so much better than I expected. I I, mm-hmm. I was terrified of this movie because um, when when the needle swings too far into sentimentality with Spielberg, um, I, I just feel, I start feeling farther and farther from it pushed away. Um, I was, I, I didn't know how he could tell his own story without being too sentimental. And I think he, I mean, he is a sentimental person, um he can't help but indulge in the power of john williams ki- uh kind of score he can't help but indulge in those slow zooms but at this point i feel like that's like judging you know an uncle of mine for for crying at a commercial with a good song in it or something it's just like <laughs> i love i love this guy i love this yeah guy. yeah and in the past, when he has hinted at his family in his films, and I think he does that most strongly in Catch Me If You Can, uh, E.T., some of the others, um, he has felt, it has seemed like he's still angry um, or yeah. still sort of judging somebody. Mm-hmm. And what what I found most miraculous about this is this is the right time for him to make this movie because, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. both of his parents have passed. And that takes you to a different place, I'm sure. But there is no judgment in this movie. Mm -hmm. He is... You're right. He's able to show that he is angry, but he is not blaming anybody. And he gives everyone such tender-hearted attention and such grace. Um, I I can only hope I can write about my own family like this when I write about my own family. And I'm facing that prospect now suddenly. Um, So the... John Williams' score, I was expecting was going to be just maple syrup poured over the whole thing, is one of his most delicate scores. um, To the point that at times I forgot it was there, which rarely happens with John Williams. It takes me back to his score for The Accidental Tourist, um, one of his most underrated, I think. And I love how the visual style of the whole thing takes you on the full journey of Spielberg's evolution uh, as a filmmaker. So you get a little bit of everything, like you were saying, Dave. No Spielberg movie is going to be the same after you've seen this one. Mm
4: -hmm. Um,
3: And it's, he's also, he's giving himself permission to be goofy and he hasn't been goofy in a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The last shot of this movie is one of my favorite last shots of all time. And it's such a silly joke. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so unexpected (laughs) when it happens. I just laughed out loud. I'm like, he's taking the movie of his life, and he's ending it with this goofball moment. And it just, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned that I am excited about putting this on my top 10 list. It's been a while (laughs) since I felt this way about Spielberg. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, yeah.
0: I love what you said uh, just real quick about the no judgment. Uh, that that was one of the most stunning things to me. And one of the things that Michelle and I talked about, we saw this in the theater, a, a rare date night out from movie theater with two young kids. We don't get out that often to the movies. But um, that's one of the things we were talking about is, man, everybody in this movie was complex. I mean, Spielberg would show the reality of of the pain and, like you said, the anger. But then he would show another side to the character that made them more just human the value of the even even the ugly anti-semitic bigots at the school I mean Spielberg is very real that anti-semitism is evil wrong it is really really ugly but even some of those characters became more complicated with the the film he shows of them at the beach and and the students it's just a a real tightrope walk and the tensions that that exist within the movie were really profound to me I guess in that sense
3: if I'm wrong about this, you can cut this out. But somebody just stopped by earlier today and said, "Did you realize the actress playing his, um, playing Sammy's sister in this, the the sister that he's closest to, is the same actress who stole the movie out from under Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the little girl?"
2: <laughs> I'm that gonna sits look in the this chair? up right now. If, uh,
3: that, if that's right, that's very impressive. I did not recognize <laughs> her.
1: Yeah, I thought I remembered hearing about that.
0: Oh, uh, we got to hear the verdict. <laughs> and then we'll hear the rest of Jeffrey Overstreet's top ten. Is, is Sarah on the case? I'm
3: thrilled you picked that for number one, uh, Dave. That's cool. I,
0: I am, you know, I, I'm such a huge fan yeah. of Spielberg. Um, there There is some sentimentality in there. I, I do think there were... There were critics writing about the Fablemans and saying, you know, the fact that Spielberg being a sentimental filmmaker is maybe a little overstated sometimes and there's darker edges to him. Oh, yeah. And I do. I do think that is true. But, you know, then you have your always movie in there, which is just dripping. You know, you watch it and it's like, oh, gosh, (laughs) you know, Um, not not one of his stronger moments. But when things really come to he's so talented, he moves the camera so well. And when things come together for him, like in this movie, it's just uh, it you're in the hands of a master.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. The actress's name is Julia Butters, and she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay.
3: Wow. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, she was great in that. Yeah.
3: To me, Empire Empire of the Sun has always been the the, the movie about Spielberg's childhood, even though it's in a completely different context. It's so clearly a, a vocabulary through which he can talk about his childhood. And that movie ends in a very, very grim place, Uh, It has its sentimental flourishes, but that's the first time he went really, really dark at the end of a movie. Um, And then Mm -hmm. it was many years before Munich came along um, and took us to the place I felt more like Saving Private Ryan should have ended. Um, Right. But but even that, even that grim ending of Empire of the Sun is about a boy confronting his parents who have somehow, um, somehow let him down, so
1: even an American tale has aspects of his family in it. if you know that, like, like the oh, yeah. Five was supposed to be named Mousy Mouskovitz. Uh, I read Don Bluth's autobiography, not that long ago. And, uh, yeah, they renamed him Five at Spielberg suggestion. That was like his maternal grandfather's name or something. Oh, wow. Uh, who had no like idea. come, come over from, from Russia and all that. So I don't, I don't know how much more he put in there, but I, I, I know that, uh, he was really involved in in helping shape the the story of that film and all that. Um, so going through your list, Jeffrey, we, we were just talking about the Fayemans, which was your number five. We've skipped your number six. Yeah. Do you talk about your number six?
3: Uh number six, um, uh, Moon Age Daydream, uh, Brett Morgan's uh immersive, extraordinary uh IMAX David Bowie experience. Yes, um,
1: experience indeed. Not so yeah. much documentary. <laughs>
3: Music biopics are just one of the worst genres, let's face it. And 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 uh to to do something this new with it, so that you are seeing young Bowie on stage performing, and then there's an overlay of older Bowie sort of looking down on him like a sort of guardian angel. Um this movie was made on a laptop by the way. When I learned that it kind of blew my mind. I don't know how it works on an IMAX screen when he made the whole thing crouched over his laptop. But there the the there's so much material to work with and he stitches together somehow one long medley of Bowie's songs, picks just the right songs, not only to show his evolution as an artist, his evolution as a lyricist, his evolution as a musician, his evolution as a fashion icon, his evolution as a philosopher, um, but also he is brave enough to take us out of um, footage of Bowie's life and into something that I could really only compare to those great um, big bang scenes from the tree of life. Hmm. Uh, And it's not just special effects. It's not overreach. It's a way of illustrating the big questions that Bowie is wrestling with. Um, And I love what Alyssa Wilkinson wrote about this film. This may be the first um, artist, uh, movie about an artist's life in which the older artist is allowed to critique the younger artist and say that he was wrong. Hmm. There, um, We get to hear Bowie talking about the 80s in the 80s as if, well, no, it's time for me to play to the crowd. It's time for me to just have some fun. And he goes out and sings Let's Dance and does the Glass Spider tour, which, I mean, just a couple of years after that tour, I, I remember, because I wanted to go see that show. People have, were already looking at that as, "Wow, how the mighty have fallen! What a disaster that was!" Here we get to see Bowie outgrow that period, look back on it, and go, "Yeah, those were pretty much wasted years." Hmm. And I think that's very, very valuable for an audience. I'm so glad uh, Alyssa picked up on that. Um, I, I, I would I wouldn't have thought about that, um, but also just sort of selfishly if i were to like to make a playlist of movies that would belong in a movie about bowie or a playlist of songs that would belong in a movie about bowie's life uh he just about nailed it here uh, brett morgan did he he picks my my favorite song the one that feels to me like the umbrella over bowie's career for the big finale and it becomes like an in the theater sing-along um i i'm excited that the criterion collection is taking this on I imagine it's going to be loaded with all kinds of other stuff that they cut from the film. I know that they did cut some pretty big numbers from it, but I just I only ever want to see this in IMAX. Uh, It's going to be rough. (laughs) Um, So it it was a good year for documentaries about music. There was a great one about Sinead O'Connor as well, although it was more conventional. Uh, this was just like what it must have been like to be in, in Bowie's head.
1: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> and I saw that one together. Yeah, uh, Moon Age Daydream, and it, yeah, it was quite an experience, quite a sensory, uh, uh purposefully over, overload, <laughs> but like, like a proper overload. Uh, yeah, that was it was something else.
3: Uh, I've got the Fableman's number five. I think I've said enough about that. I've got women talking and number four. I've definitely said maybe too much about that. Um, <laughs> number three, what do we see when we look at the sky? Oh boy. I saw this the first week of t- of 2022, hmm. And I don't I don't know. Has anyone here seen it? Sarah, have you I'm seen it? I did not no. it's
2: been
1: on my list to see ever since you, you saw it the first week of January. So <laughs> I just haven't uh... <laughs> been able to.
3: It's still uh easily accessible. But it is long and it it's almost like somebody read Overstreet's favorite films and tried blending them all because (laughs) it's got this Wings of Desire quality to it where you hear a sort of guardian angel narrating what's happening um, in the city of uh, Kutasi in in Georgia, the the other Georgia. Um, It's a fairy tale, sort of a Lady Hawk like fairy tale where two people meet. Uh, it's a it's a meet-cute. They'd fall in infatuation, I would say. Uh, and then an evil, if I remember right, it's an evil streetlight, observes their meeting and decides this must stop and makes sure that they wake up the next morning in different bodies so they can't find each other when they hope to run into each other again. And their lives go on, and they get different jobs. And this is set against the backdrop of a town where everyone is obsessed with football or soccer, in the World Cup. And the movie has all these wild tangents of watching children play soccer and pretend to be their heroes. the The title comes from a uh, is a reference to um, how Messi, whenever he would score a goal, would look up at the sky, and how everybody in this movie is looking up at the sky trying to find a way to express um, what they are longing for, trying to find a way to express their desire for transcendence. And we get so many windows on life in this town that it's also like Berlin in Wings of Desire, but like a joyful version of that. Hmm. The dogs have dialogue in this movie. They like following people around and watching the soccer matches and they have conversations and the dog friends meet up and go watch the match. Um, um, like power boxes on the street talk. Uh, it's it's very David Lynchian in that there's this strange tension between the natural world and the technology that's everywhere. Um, it's, it just, oh, there's just so much going on. It's exhausting to talk about. Um, you've, got, <laughs> you've, 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 you've got to try it out, but but have a lot of coffee ready because it's going to, it's a long sit. Uh, but Ann and I decided to watch this on a whim on a date night. And as soon as I realized how long it was, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the wrong choice. And we had absolutely no regrets. It was uh so mystifying and strange. So I hope and, you get it. And
1: uh, that. real quick, you you are not particularly fond of, of soccer necessarily, right? Like, no, like no. that's not something that you need to be no all that aware of to enjoy. Okay. No,
3: Good. no, but the attention <laughs> to um the faces of the people watching and the the attention to the children playing soccer there's a slow-mo scene of them playing soccer that just goes on and on and on and it's just pure joy mm. it reminded me of the soccer scene in the movie Timbuktu uh where the young Muslim uh boys have to play soccer without a soccer ball because it's against the rules so they have to imagine the ball mm. um it reminded me a lot of of that anyway mm. um if you watch it on Mubi it is immediately followed by a fascinating interview with the director that um um, made the experience that much better for me. So um I would mm-hmm. recommend that as well.
1: This uh this episode is sponsored by Mubi. Um yes. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> if only they would pay us. All right. So now the what we've been leading all up to, we've we've done the number ones for everybody except Jeffrey. Jeffrey's number one. I I, I hinted, uh I think oh he's got two. Thank 2, two.
4: Oh, Yang yeah. Sorry, yeah, two. sorry.
1: Mm-hmm. After Yang is your number two. Yeah. you're no, your number one. I just want to say it it is my number one most memorable film going theatrical experience of the year um because my son lost two teeth um <laughs> <laughs> during in the span of 15 minutes
2: amazing while
1: watching this movie well how one,
2: appropriate <laughs> yeah uh he
1: he had some loose ones and he had some uh, some gummies And lost one during the trailers before the movie started and lost another about 15 minutes in. And it did seem very appropriate. Um, Of course, we're talking about Marcel the show with shoes on. And so all of our thoughts went to like, what would Marcel Marcel do with these teeth? (laughs) 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 So, so Jeffrey, please tell us about your love. For Marcel, the show with shoes I, on.
3: I mean, I I've I've reviewed this on Letterboxd like five times. I have <laughs> a, a separate review at Looking Closer, and then I wrote a follow up essay about it at the Rabbit Room. I can't, so I'm I'm not going to try to cover all of that here. Uh, I will say a few sort of the my my typical talking points with this one. Um, um, how does a movie, a stop motion uh, movie about a tiny seashell? Um, get made when the filmmakers have admitted in interviews that the movie they looked at the most and spent the most time with to make sure this worked was Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Hmm. Um, And it explains so much because, again, what's happening on the micro level speaks volumes about what's happening on the macro level. Um, These little interactions between these shells work for so many reasons. One, the stop motion animation is so gentle in the way that the original Peanuts cartoons are gentle. Um, this, this The warm heart, the big warm heart of it uh, is like nothing more that I can think of than My Neighbor Totoro. Um, it has a sort of Jim Henson spirit to it more than anything outside of Jim Henson I can think of, um, except maybe Jason Siegel's tribute to Jim Henson called The Muppets. Um, <laughs> There's so much uh, uh, visual creativity, uh, but I think maybe the master stroke of the whole thing is getting not one, but two perfect voice castings down. Uh, Jenny Slate, who has played the character for 10 years now, really. Um, I didn't know that when I saw it, when I first saw this, I didn't know about the YouTube sensation. Somehow I missed all of that. But Jenny Slate as Marcel is as perfect a match as for an animated character and a voice as anybody I can think of since Kermit the Frog and um but then you've got isabella rossellini as nana connie the grandmother and she somehow finds notes i haven't heard from her before and she is just so beautiful in this name another children's movie that takes the time for poetry and not just like in a poetic sense but reads an entire poem uh at at like the climactic moment of the movie that is the climax of the movie is this reading of a poem that somehow blesses everything that has come before and everything that is about to happen um and then how do you do stop motion animation when a real dog is in the scene i mean i didn't think about this till later suddenly it was like wait a minute there are real people in these scenes moving around being themselves. There's a dog barging through things and the little (laughs) stop motion animated characters are interacting with them. How did they do that? Mm -hmm. I'm told there are great documentaries out there about how they made this movie. I don't want to see them because I believe in Marcel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, it's an optical composite.
3: uh, I think, and I, and I think no movie benefited more this year um, from the timing than this one did yes. we were all yeah. long oh boy no, yeah, I'm gonna get emotional we were all longing for community again and I was in a packed theater and I was not comfortable with that um, but I was sitting with a bunch of my students who had really wanted to do this because it was it it was playing at SIF and I was like okay I'll do this I'll go to a movie with my students that sounds like fun and so I was sort of like In that detached sense, sort of, I was watching them watch the movie. You know, I was sort of feeling a little bit parental in this situation, and then that just all dissolved as soon as the movie um, found its feet, which it finds right away. Um, And I was—I haven't laughed with a crowd that much, that joyfully, um, for the duration of a film. I can't—I mean, I can't think of another time. So, (sighs) okay, I'm going to calm down now, but. I'm just so grateful for this movie. I won't be surprised if it ends up being my favorite of the decade. And uh, I've already introduced it to so many people and cherished those experiences being there to see them see it for the first time. Um, Yeah. And it's got a lot to say about social media. It's got a lot to say about the difference between a community and an audience, Mm
4: -hmm. um,
3: which I think is a a heavy thing for a, a movie for all ages to take on so yeah i I knew when i saw it this is my favorite of the year if i see something else it's going to be the great uh, that i like better it's going to be the greatest film year of all time um it's so
1: rare to to have a a film that's able to be both extraordinarily gentle and side-splittingly funny
2: yes
3: (laughs) and and meaningful rather than just yeah Mm sentimental
2: Yeah, I was. It's it's funny. So I was aware of the Marcel shorts when they first came out. That would have been right around uh, the same time that I was in college, actually. And um, I was not a fan of those shorts. So I went into Marcel the Shell with Shoes On the movie, fully expecting to dislike it. Mm. And the way that it disarmed me, it d- it didn't make my top ten list, but it is extremely high up there the way that this movie disarmed me without me even realizing that it was doing it and the way that it continued to insist on itself without being you know a a rude guest um i don't know it was just tremendous and then talk about timing jeffrey um i my um paternal grandmother passed away not too long after this movie came out and so it was an incredibly meaningful experience for me to sit down with this movie and watch it, um, just with the familial situation that I was in at the time. Mm. And I found it to be a deeply encouraging movie to watch while I was in that state too. Um, And I haven't seen it since then. And I know that if I do see it, I'm going to sob through quite a lot of it, I <laughs> yeah, think.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, just a, a tremendous movie. So, again, you know, the, that theme of, of familial connection and grief, I think, just kind of went through a lot of 2022 for me. Um, 2022 for me. And. Um, yeah, I don't know. Marcela Shell with shoes on really captures that in a beautiful and gentle and expressive way. And the score is so good. Disasterpiece is the name of the artist, and it's. Um... I
1: love Disasterpiece. Going down to the sound, the the soundtrack to the game Fez, uh, mm-hmm. his work in that was phenomenal. I have it on vinyl. Uh, oh. He also he also did it follows.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, and. Um... Uh, and I believe the uh, Hyperlight Drifter game soundtrack, which yeah. I love very much, um, also did the soundtrack for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies last year. Oh wow!
4: Yeah, yes. I heard <laughs> that. That's right. That's right. Um,
3: yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I was I was nervous because of the the choices of songs in the movie. Um, a friend of mine, Brian Rust, who's a singer songwriter, has been performing here in Seattle all over the place for gosh, thirty years. Um, he hates Peaceful, Easy Feeling more. Then I can say that is to him like the worst song ever written. And I was really scared, loaning my my Blu-ray of this to him because I knew that was coming. He came back to me and he said, The greatest thing I can say about this great film is that it made me cry at peaceful, easy feeling for the right reasons. (laughs) Good.
2: Oh, that's lovely.
1: I I, kind of wonder, I I had the same experience, um, not the same experience, but Sarah, I was familiar with the shorts when they came out. I actually preferred a different series of shorts that she and Dean Fleischer Camp did that same year. They were Mm -hmm. doing Marcel the Shell at the same time that they were doing this series called Catherine, Mm -hmm. um, which was, yeah, she was just an office drone. And everything is this heightened, tonal, almost like Tim and Eric-like, but but restrained thing where it's, it's very difficult to describe like all of everything that said is just super banal. Uh, and it's yeah. It, I found it to be hilarious and I couldn't imagine them making a movie out of it, but I was always, I was already so familiar with Marcel that there wasn't um, as much of a surprise with it when, when I saw the movie, but, but them turning it into Like, I don't remember any of the shorts being particularly moving. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, it was a lot of, like... Some uh, bon
2: mots, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of not rapid fire, because everything is spoken slower. But, (laughs) but yeah, a bunch of little jokes about what what Marcel could do with this or that tiny thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, what what they did in in turning this into a feature uh, was really really surprising and and lovely and i'll I'll be returning to that for sure and hopefully next time i watch it no more teeth (laughs) will will fall out of my kids heads um (laughs) well you uh, said
3: I took some pleasure in the fact that the whole panel on the film spotting podcast about the films of 2022, the only film that showed up on everybody's list was was Marcel. And I was in the car going, yes!
1: (laughs) I thought after Yang was the one for them as well, that I I know a lot of them had that as their top. But so somebody, somebody didn't have it on their list, huh? All right. Well, Thank you yeah. so much, Sarah. It is it is late over there. It is late in Chicago. <laughs> it is late in Chicago. Thank, thank you yeah. so, so much for 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 your, your patience and sticking with us. Yeah, thank um, you
2: for having me. Always happy to talk about movies and especially the good ones.
1: Absolutely. Can I, can I put so, in a
3: plug for Sarah's uh, book about Alien? Um, yes. And yes. also her substack, uh, The Dodgy Boffin.
2: Actually uh, uh I'm on Ghost now. I'm on Substack but it'll just redirect over to Ghost. Um, oh
3: wow.
0: Okay. Yep.
2: Same same well, newsletter name it. though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And
0: Brightwall Dark Room, you can I am find her
2: a staff writer at Brightwall Dark Room and the co-host of the Seeing and Believing uh film podcast with Kevin McLennathan. so if you like hearing me talk about movies, I do that every week over there as well. Hi Kevin.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, Ke- Kevin McLake Wick- McLengthy name. I think it's his Twitter handle, McLengthy yes. name. Oh, like he's not on Twitter
2: um, anymore. He's free, uh, unlike the rest of
0: Free us. from Elon. Yeah, yes. right. And <laughs> so uh, yeah, listen to, um, that's a great film podcast. That's one of my favorites. Um, Thank you. Becoming Alien. I just have to, Jeffrey brought up the book, but I have to mention the subtitle because it's one of the great subtitles of all time. <laughs> I can never Becoming... remember it myself. So. <laughs> Becoming Alien, The Beginning and the End of Evil in Science Fiction's most idiosyncratic film, franchise Franchise. Yep. Boom. That's, that's good. work. epic Dave. and wonderful. There you go. <laughs> you. I had it written down. All right. <laughs> uh, J-
1: Jeffrey, is there anything you want to plug? Is it too late for people to sign up for your classes this term?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're, uh, people are registering right now. Uh, okay. All nine, right. There are nine seats left in my film and story class where we are going to read both, uh, the short story. That inspired after Yang, and then watch the film. And because mm. the film takes the short story and goes far, far, far beyond it. Oh, cool! Uh, and we're going to read Women Talking, and then watch the film. So those are two of the uh, wow the adaptation journeys we're going to go on. We're also going to do River Runs Through It, um, Pinocchio uh, with the original novel, and um, I can't wait Watership Down. So oh yeah, uh, I wish I could audit lot, the class.
1: It sounds fascinating. So everybody tomorrow, listening, apply to SPU yeah and, and then and then sign up for for jeffrey's class
3: and tomorrow morning i have a meeting where i sign a contract for my next film book so Whoa!
2: wonderful, nice. congratulations. You are, you are the, congratulations congratulations you
3: are the first to hear about this breaking That's
1: so news everybody that has listened for two hours Whoa. into this it was all worth it yes <laughs> is there a title even further Uh, through the screen
3: it's a little little early for me to let that detail out they um they may tell me in the meeting they hate the title so uh i'll I'll just wait on that but but i hope they keep it because i love it that's all i'll say
1: Yeah, down the stream darkly um there you go (laughs) (laughs) all right well yeah as a follow-up
0: to through the screen darkly which you all should read as well that's a that's a really great book i have that over on my shelf with sarah's book actually so
1: awesome. well, thank you, thank you so much to both of you. It was so fun to be able to to have uh, uh, two guests this week to to really get into it and and hopefully people have been writing down the ones that that sounded of interest to them. You know, you know, tw- tweet at us, tweet at them, you know, get at us if if you end up watching something because of this that you love. Um, that's what we're trying to do here. spread spread the word on the good stuff um uh, so <laughs> thanks thanks so much
3: and hey this wasn't as long as mr bachman in his class <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, dave
0: is anybody out there still listening
1: i i think we talked about everything everywhere in film uh uh all all for two hours every year is a good year for movies if you pay close enough attention if you if you if you dig hard enough and yeah. if you if you know some people that can make some good recommendations that's that's helpful too so i'm really glad to know sarah and jeffrey and when they're head over heels for something i definitely make a point of trying to see it yeah i think i think it's time to go to bed it's
0: i i think it's time to wrap this it, up after two late. plus hours yeah
1: thank you everybody <laughs> thank that you. made it this far uh yeah
0: what can we give them can we give them anything if they made it this far
1: <laughs> i don't know um the next episode is free but uh, there you <laughs> go you get what you pay for yeah send us a tweet if you made it this far um yeah this is please the... yeah if you make it to the end if you hear this tweet at us just should we do like a a a, a, a secret word or something yeah why not alligator um just alligator just tweet the word alligator nothing at, else at, no context at vcw pod or at music or at dave j lester just the word alligator which i think that came to my mind because it features in pearl um but uh <laughs> yeah just, just tweet alligator and we'll know we'll know what it meant and we'll be very thankful and if we don't already follow you i think we should follow you back at that point absolutely so that's what you get if you listen to this whole that's thing, fair. tweet at us we'll give you a follow <laughs> All right, oh, Dave, take us out.
0: Here we go. This has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. If you like what we're doing here, please leave us a rating and a review wherever you like to get podcasts as that helps others find our show. You can tweet at us with that secret word at Pod. I'm at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzach, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And uh, you can also go to Zach's website and check out some cool music get a vinyl record or two um, music.bandcamp.com
1: thanks again for coming on down to the vcw and remember as always the podcast is free but you still need to tithe 10 percent